I'm Ken Benson, President and CEO of SIFMA. Welcome to the SIFMA Podcast. joining us for the second episode in SIFMA's DNI podcast series. I'm Amina Ross, Managing Director of Advocacy at SIFMA. I'm here today to talk about diversity and inclusion in the financial services industry, the opportunities and challenges we face, and some of the innovative programs at firms currently. I'm joined by Jim Reynolds, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Loop Capital Markets, LLC. Welcome, Jim. Mena, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. So, Jim, let's begin with Loop Capital's vision of the future. What does the future of the industry look like, and how does Loop Capital fit into that vision? Well, I mean, it's uh, this is just an amazing industry. Um, I've been in this business now for 38 years. I started out as a a trader in 1982 um, at uh, at one of the Wall Street firms, Smith Barney, Uh, then went on to, I saw it first Chicago, then went on to Smith Barney, Payne Webb of Narrow Lynch, and started my own firm 23 years ago. Uh, From the day I stepped into this business, even until today, I think it's one of the finest industries that anyone could ever work in. Uh, as much of a challenge as you like, you get it here. Any upside that you like, you get it here. Uh, outsized rewards for your work and contributions, you actually get it here. And mm-hmm. so the financial services industry has evolved uh, quite a bit. Uh, over the last 23 years, Luke has been a pretty big part of it. Uh, I've started a firm uh, with six people. It's a little over 200 of us now. We're one of the larger privately held investment banking firms in the country uh, in all of the businesses. Uh, I I think that this business is going to continue to be probably the business of choice. Tech has come on and uh, and to be a very, a very competitive business with what we do, certainly with a lot of our, uh, the talent that's coming in. But when you look at the financial services industry, it touches everything, Uh, everything. It evolves around finance. The products may change, um, and and but folks are always going to continue to invest. Businesses are going to continue to want to grow and need capital to grow, acquire things. The markets are going to be active and vibrant, and it's global. So there's nothing but really green skies ahead for for the industry uh, as a whole and for Loop Capital as a whole. We feel very good about our place in it. So as you look at the initiatives that Loop Capital is implementing in the DNI space, which do you view as the most innovative and why? Well, that's a different question. Um, the industry itself, I've painted an amazingly rosy picture of. Um, diversity in the industry is not so good. Uh, we've gone backwards uh, decades uh, in financial services. When I came into the business in 1980s, I, I think there were more blacks and browns in the business than there are today, or at least not appreciably more. Um, and I've said this um, quite often um, in, in the SIFMA meetings, and I say it quite, quite to a, a significant amount of my counterparties. Uh, folks are, are trying to figure out why it is and what has happened to, to, to take us backwards from that perspective. And I think it's intentionality around it. Um, 
you know, this is an issue that we have to address. You know, I, I hear things like, well, maybe um, African-Americans and Latinx aren't interested in this profession, which could not be further from the truth. I don't think anybody would, would not want to be in a profession where, you know, the average compensation is several hundred thousand dollars a year. And if you just make that, you're, you're upset and not a success, <laughs> you know. So, right. you know, the upside is, is several times that. So as we look out at the industry and diversity and inclusion, we have work to do. Uh, over the last few months, I've had a lot of conversations with leaders in the various firms for the first time ever in my 38 years. And this just happened over the last few months that really want to explore what has happened to uh, really to set the clock back in terms of African-Americans and Latinx folks in financial services in Wall Street. And we're exploring those things. I have very strong opinions on those things. Um, Loop as Loop as a firm is is probably the most uh, diversified firm, integrated firm on Wall Street. Uh, we have a significant amount of African Americans in every other group uh, in our business for one reason, and I, and I can tell you it's one distinct reason. I hire talent, and I haven't had a problem hiring talent uh, in all shades, in all genders, in all races. Uh, talent is there. And I think if we just focus in on that component of it, this this problem can be fixed. You talked a little bit about the last few months. And so pivoting for a moment, given the overarching impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the globe, has it also affected the way you approach DNI during this time? No, no. I think the issues of diversity and inclusion have been decades in the making. It, it has absolutely nothing Diversity and inclusion has nothing to do with COVID. Uh, COVID is not, re well, you can say it takes a, it has taken a more devastating toll on um, African-Americans and Hispanics and senior citizens for reasons that don't have a lot to do with Wall Street and DNI. But with COVID, it has not, not been an issue at all. When you look at diversity and inclusion on Wall Street, uh, and I've used this example several times, when I came into the business in the 80s, there really were no women on the trading floor. There were not very many mm -hmm. women on Wall Street at all. And you've heard wow. me say this. Yeah. Um, and actually, women wouldn't even walk across a trading floor. They felt so uncomfortable because of the jeers, the comment on their shoes, the comment on their dresses, the comment on their blouses. The only women you saw on trading floors, and for the old timers that may be listening to this, they know it's a fact, were sales assistants and secretaries. <laughs> That was it. Uh, and that was in the 80s. You fast forward now, um, women run most of the businesses on trading floor. Uh, the two of the largest global investment banks uh, in the U.S. and the world may be headed by women. And several of our member firms are run by women. And many of the business units, the profitable business units in the capital markets business are headed by women. Uh, women are probably 40 to 50 percent of every trading floor. Uh, and so they fixed it. So if you say, well, well Jim, how'd they, how'd they do that? You go back in the 80s where there were Blacks and Latinx on trading floors and no women. Now there's a plethora of women and no Blacks and Hispanics on the trading floor. What has happened? The industry decided to focus on bringing women onto and integrating them into the business. That's just a fact. Gender became a focus. 
And uh, I think once the street focused on it, they unleashed the talent that was already there that they just didn't give an opportunity to, to play. I mean, women could always do the functions. They just didn't have a chance to do it. If you were a highly qualified woman, you came in as a sales assistant or secretary, not as a trader, not as a salesman. Right. And so, you know, they reversed that and we see the results. I think that what, from what I see in the discussions I'm having now, there's a focus on black and brown folks coming into the trading floor. And I think with that focus and that intentionality to retain, recruit, train, and advance these folks, we'll turn this corner pretty quickly. But there, there has no connection to COVID whatsoever. I mean. Now in July, you spoke with CNBC on your efforts to diversify your workforce. In it, you are quoted as saying, I've found it so amazingly easy to recruit minority candidates, African-Americans, women, and promote them very easily because I focus on talent and the talent really comes through. Can you walk me through how you've achieved this and what are the strategies you've used to retain your most valuable talent? Well, first of all, let's go back to the beginning and talk about recruiting, which is where it starts. And this is where I've been working very closely with SIFMA. And I've used this a, a, a example uh, because quite often at SIFMA, with our member firms, they say they can't find any to recruit in the first place. And, um, you know, and I invariably ask what schools they recruit from. And it's the same, you know, top schools, the Harvards, the Princetons, the Stanfords, the Whartons, the Booths, the Northwesterns, et cetera, where there are African-Americans um, and Latinx, but they're not that many. And um, and so they may have some success. By and large, they don't. But when you recruit an African-American from Harvard, um, that is a very sought after individual. That person has, you know, fought a lot of odds and achieved the pinnacle in that school. And so that's an individual that's going to do all right. They're going to do fine. Um, what I found, and we recruit from different schools, and as I said to our member firms at SIFMA, if you're a fisherman, you go fish where the fish are. If you're a hunter, you go hunt where the game is. Mm -hmm. uh, you, don't fit, you don't fish in waters where there's no fish or just a few fish. And as you know, Amina, we've, we've started this effort, and why aren't we going to historically black colleges and universities? because that's where African-Americans are. And they have certainly enough skill and talent to work on the jobs that, that are available on Wall Street. It's not something that you only have to go to a select number of schools. And as you know, we're getting traction. And I think more and more of the member firms are starting to question, why don't we go to different sorts of schools? I mean, most of the folks that they have in their firm didn't come from Harvard and Princeton and Yale in the first place. So why do the African-Americans and Latinx have to come from there? So it, it's kind of like a, a crazy sort of conundrum. And so now they're starting to branch out. We've been branching out to a lot of schools. We go to the city schools in Chicago. We'll go to state schools. We go to historically black colleges and universities. For some of our function, we go to the junior colleges in the city. Because every function, you don't even need a, a, a bachelor's degree. 
for some of the technology functions that are in these farms and programming functions in these farms. So some of it starts with the recruiting. But once you get them in, the other problem that I hear a lot about, Amina, a lot about, is how do we retain them, Jim? Well, I will tell you, if you got this guy from Harvard or Yale or Princeton, you may have a hard time. Uh, and you got to move them quickly because they are very sought after. And every year, that person's going to get job offers from every hedge fund, private equity firm, tech shop, because that's the profile of who they look for. But the person from the state school, from historically black college and university that may be extraordinarily talented, uh, isn't going to have that sort of attention, but could do your job just as well. And so that really starts to help address some of that. But where I've seen the most problems is that diversity and inclusion and particularly retaining talent of African-Americans and, and Latinx comes down to middle managers. The CEOs, and have we seen in the last few months, have written glowing emails around the injustices around George Floyd. Right. Um, and, and they've written so much about what's happening in America. But that's the CEOs. Uh, that occupy the C-suite, that aren't running the business units and aren't seeing and talking and training and interacting with these young people every day. It rarely filters down to the middle managers. And that's where the challenge of retaining these youth come in. If they don't see the support network down there in the middle managers, if they feel that they were just put there and, and jammed down this guy's throat because the firm had a, a, a affirmative action program and they're there, it's not going to work. And so the buy-in has to be a part of the entire organization. And those managers have to be held accountable for retaining and promoting and allowing these people to learn, to grow and flourish, which is what Loop Capital spends a lot of time on. Um, we develop our young people, and I'm talking to my managers almost daily about how our young people are doing. What are they learning? What's the benchmark right now? When are we going to get them in front of clients? How, how were they when they did their first client meetings? Who's going to train them where they're weak? So it, it becomes something that you really have to have as an organization be very intentional about. That's really helpful. Um, we can all learn from your leadership in this space. Do you believe the issue with middle management is one of the largest difficulties that uh, the financial services industry is dealing with? Or are there other difficulties that you think uh, the industry has to overcome to move the ball forward for diversity and inclusion? Well, you know, um Jared Kushner said something uh, the other day. You may have heard it or read about it. It got a lot of press. I did. I did. And, and he implied that African-Americans don't want to be successful. Um, and President Obama, I, I know, commented on it in Florida. And he said, what history books is he reading? And uh, clearly mm -hmm. he's not reading, reading any. And I go back to the leadership of the firm, the CEO. One of the reasons that Loop Capital is as effective as it is, is that everybody in our firm knows I'm committed to it. Everybody. Everybody in the firm knows that I'm asking about these youth. And everybody in the firm knows I ask how many did we recruit this year and where we recruit from and how are they advancing. So it would be easy for me to point to middle managers, which I do, 
and say, you know, quite often that's where it breaks down. But when you look at the C-suite, Amina, for a CEO to write a glowing email and say, let's do better, and I'm going to now give $100 million to historically black colleges and universities and make some grants and all that stuff available, and that's it, it's not going to work. That CEO has to make it a part of the culture of that organization. They already did it with women. I mean, there we had a few years there where it was absolutely, if you didn't hire a, a woman to do a job or uh, some pension funds just sought to divest in companies that didn't have women on the board or women in the C-suite, it was a major national effort with women and it changed. And I think when we look at what's happening with African-Americans and Latinx, to just say, oh, they don't want these jobs, they don't really want to work hard, or they quit, they don't want to stay here, is not the answer. It's too simplistic an approach, and it's not true. Every organization has to kind of do its part to understand how to recruit, where to recruit, how to retain, and how to promote. It's difficult. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. If they go, if you take an African-American in an organization and they're the only one, um, it's just tough. And so you want to make sure that you, it's a part of your culture and you're bringing in um, a lot of, you're bringing in as many as you can that are qualified to do this job. And you've got the infrastructure around them to retain them and teach them. Yes. So finally, what is an area of diversity and inclusion that you believe is commonly overlooked? And how have you addressed those disparities at Loop Capital? I think the whole industry, I mean, it would be tough for me to say uh, they do a good job in M&A, or they do a good job in emerging markets, or they do a good job in corporate trading or public finance. Um, They don't do a good job in any of it. (laughs) The whole thing's been overlooked. I think on Wall Street, <laughs> African-Americans and Latinx have been overlooked. And I think right now you could just pretty much take your pick on which area you wanted to focus on. Is it wealth management? Is it fixed income trading? Is it equity trading? Is it M&A? Is it corporate debt? Uh, is it corporate equity? Uh, is it tech? I mean, you, there's, there's room in every aspect of every uh, investment banking firm and broker dealer to 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 make some headway in this. Everyone, and so you know, I, there's no single area that's been overlooked. It's been an industry that's overlooked these people, just flat out overlooked them. The thing that I'm excited about is we now have a dialogue about it, and it's at the top levels where the CEOs are now starting to say some things that are a little bit more meaningful because they're looking at their organization and what they see is pretty frightening. You know, 3%, 5%, 2% African-Americans. Uh, I'm excited to be coming in as vice chair in SIFMA. A yeah. big part of my agenda is really going to be to just enlighten a lot of our member firms who, by the way, many have already reached out to me to say, Jim, we want to try to figure this thing out. Uh, we want to do better to enlighten them as to my views on how we could do better. And I don't think Loop has this success totally because I'm CEO and African-American at the same time. I know it, it is a factor because I know that the myths uh, and stereotypes about these folks um, expressed aren't true. 
Uh, and I know that these jobs are incredibly sought after. You know, we have an internship program. We'll have 25 or 30 slots. We'll have over 300, 400 applicants for those slots. And so there is an amazing number of people that want to work in this industry. We just have to connect the dots. And that's really going to be my focus. So with that, thanks so much um, again to you for joining me today. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. To learn more about SIFMA and our work to promote diversity and inclusion, please visit us at www.sifma.org. And to learn more about Loop Capital's amazing work in this space, please visit www.loopcapital.com. Thanks again, Jim. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great talking to you. Mm-hmm.